Welcome to Fran Path Consulting Podcast. I'm Sam Schweitzer. And I'm Brittany Bodie. And together we are Fran Path Consulting. Hello, tan and relaxed Brittany Bodie. How are ya? I am doing well. How are you? Not nearly as tan, but I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I do not look like I was in Mexico for the last week. <laughs> so I got that North Dakota glow, that see-through skin, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we definitely got some sun, so that was a lot of fun. I'm I'm dragging a little bit this morning because we were very delayed, and you know it's funny for us. It wasn't even the flight. The flight was only an hour delay, but. We get back to Atlanta. They don't have a gate for us. So then we sit on the runway for an hour. We get off and then they don't have anybody to do the bags. And so we wait for bags for 40 minutes. And then we're trying to get to our park and ride bus. Um, We park in like a parking lot off property because Atlanta is so massive. And they had two buses running. So there's hundreds of people you know, and it fits like 12 people at a time. So they're just running these poor two buses back and forth and back and forth. So that took over an hour so. But we got home. We made it. So that's really all that matters. There were people way worse off than us. Um, so we were grateful to make it home last night. That's amazing. I was worried about you with all the travel delays and knowing that we had an early morning this morning. It's That buffer day is necessary and every time mm-hmm. that I don't book myself a buffer day after travel, I'm. it's like, please remember to do this because when you're when you are looking at your calendar, all you're thinking about is how many things you're going to miss if you're not in the office right away when you get back. That's another eight hours. That's another, you know, 10 Mm -hmm. clients, 12 clients I can talk to. I probably need to just be back. And then you get back and you're like, oh my gosh, now I have to work five hours after work because I have an inbox full of things I didn't answer. (laughs) And I I completely understand that there is a minor amount of punishment for taking those vacations. (laughs) There is. Yeah, we say, you know, on the last day of vacation, my husband and I both are like, all right, we're not going to spend the entire time making our way home in our inbox because – We just need to just finish out the vacation and we'll pay for it when we are officially back in the office. Um, But we're here. We're back. So that's exciting. You had some some fun delays, too. I mean, it truly was everybody, wasn't it? It really was. It was – I think I put a survey on our FranPath Instagram and it said – did you uh, were you delayed with your travel? And it was like there was nobody that said no. It was literally (laughs) everybody said, I didn't travel. Or yes. So it was definitely everybody. And like you said, there were people – I mean, I had friends booking thousands and thousands of dollars of flights just to get home because Mm -hmm. their flights were canceled. So we had a little – you know, well, I shouldn't say a little. We had like a five-plus hour stay in the Fargo, North Dakota airport. <laughs> um, but Max got to watch a ton of YouTube and that's his true dream as an eight-year-old. So I feel like it was it was beneficial to him and I got a boatload of – so I got a boatload of work done once the Wi-Fi kicked in. Our first three and a half hours, there was no Wi-Fi. <laughs> so oh my gosh. Yeah, was- only in North Dakota do they have that problem. People would be raging in Atlanta. So, oh my gosh. 
Yeah, it's totally acceptable, you know, as long as there's beer, right? It was like, oh, the bar just says unlimited amounts of beer. It's like one bar and then it's like a little food counter. And that's what we were dealing with. But it's it was fun. It's fun to be home. It's fun to have time off. But I definitely am ready to be back. I think that's the one huge upside of really taking time during the holiday season is after you gain 10 pounds and sit around for however long, it's like I can't just eat and drink for another two weeks. So I need to come back to work and speak with clients and get back in the swing of things. So excited to be here today. And we have a fantastic guest that we've been waiting to have on. Um, I'm just really excited for her to talk about you know, her experience and her position with Repham Group. She is Rebecca Horowitz, the Senior Vice President of Operations. What's up, guys? Hello. 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 Thank you so much for joining us, especially after we were chatting before we started and you had some crazy travel with your family. (laughs) So thanks for uh, settling back in and joining us. Yes. Thank you so much. And yeah, I know you guys worked to get me in. We had to reschedule and was my original flight was also getting delayed on the day we were supposed to record. So you know what? It's good. It's nice to be here. And yes, to be back safely home, maybe without luggage, but it's fine. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, I'll hope you get your luggage soon. And thank you again for being here. We try to kick off every podcast with just a little get to know you. So maybe start with that for us. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started in franchising. Yeah, for sure. So it's funny, I have a a pretty diverse professional background. My husband teases me that I have had like every job there is to have, mostly because I started working when I was really young and I had a wide variety of roles. I did uh, commission only funeral home sales at one point. Like, you know, I worked in like dog grooming. I did all kinds of barista, all sorts of things. Um, But my my early career was really focused in working for universities on building out their fundraising apparatus, basically. So international fundraising or fundraiser training or some of those things. And, uh, you know, that was it was really great work, especially because I got to really start to understand kind of the building of systems and processes. Um, And then after grad school, I was actually working in consumer products marketing. So like Hershey's, Johnson and Johnson and doing forecasting and consumer and trade promotion and marketing of some big brands. And I liked that work. Uh, I have always kind of had a thing for for companies that make real things, you know, or do real things, not so much like finance or kind of the invisible world, but a lot of like, th- you know, as I say, companies that do and make practical things that help people. And so I liked that work. But fundamentally, I think uh, I'm I'm not a marketer at heart. So what I what I always liked about those was kind of the strategy and the process and tools piece of it. Um, and when I was at J&J, probably about 10 years ago, um, a good friend of mine from business school had started working at Driven Brands. So he'd previously been in private equity, but then had gone over to the to the operation side. He was about to take over as the COO at Meineke. And we were just talking about, you know, the brand and kind of the, the challenges that he was going to face taking over and what it meant to come into a brand that was really mature and had just a totally different set of, you know, of business challenges. And even the way that the industry work was so different now and, you know, the team that was in place at Driven um, to, to really lead that. And I got excited, you know, a, a company like J&J is so big. Um, and you do have access to just thousands of smart people and millions of dollars in resources and, you know, crazy budgets. And that part is awesome, but uh, it's a big ship and it doesn't steer very fast. And it's hard to really 
have a huge impact in the time you're there. You're one in a long line and one in a, a big group. And, you know, so I was probably, I don't know, eight levels down from the CEO or whatever. And, you know, if I stayed 10 more years, I'd move up two more levels. You know, it just doesn't, it doesn't move quickly. And so the, the prospect of coming to Driven and getting to work with people like Paul Clayton, you know, at the time or Jonathan Fitzpatrick, like that was exciting and, and to get to have a, a bigger impact. So I took what was at the time a huge leap for me. Um, I took a role as a VP of ops at Meineke and that was my first intro to franchising. So while I was there, um, I was overseeing business systems and training, which included like new center support, all of the training programs across the system, and then creation and rollout of a new business system, a new operations manual, essentially. Um, so it was work that I had some ac- some exposure to, but just in a, such a different franchising world. So it was a, a definitely a wild ride moving over so different from what I had known. But um, I have essentially been in franchising and operations ever since. What a crazy thing to work with a company like <laughs> J&J. As you think through that, I mean, that's, that's a massive company. And I do think sometimes you go to business school and inadvertently it gets programmed and you're there to learn about business. But it is a, it's a stepping stone to gaining more rungs on the corporate ladder, moving up. So after paying for that, being in school that long, that can be terrifying to go, okay, so now I'm actually going to go to a smaller company after I spent all of this time and energy, <laughs> like you said, and years trying to move my way up in that realm. So mm-hmm. you started in franchising in the automotive space, which is incredibly interesting. How did you go from that arena to working for the Repham Group? Yeah, so that's a great question. And it actually was a it was an easier transition. You know, after I left Driven, I I still dabbled in automotive for a little while. I was the operating partner of a of a Mako MSO working with some of those same folks at Driven just on the franchisee side. Um, and then I moved into consulting for several years and my work there, I still did dabble there with automotive, did some work for Driven and some other brands. Um, but then I moved mostly to other types of companies. Um, you know, food companies, B2B, some of those things. But I still kept in touch with a lot of the the people that I knew at Driven. Um, and Jason, certainly one of them and, and Rob as well. So I ran into Rob and Jason at Springboard in, I think, 2019. Um, and I heard all about what they were doing at Repum. It was pretty new then. They had just made kind of the transition from being a standalone real estate and construction to really starting to build out the other verticals. And it sounded awesome. And, and I was really interested. But I was in the middle of another role at the time. Um, but then the pandemic intervened, uh, and my role at the time, which was with a company that did European travel, um, my, my role basically evaporated in the pandemic. Uh, so I had a lot more time on my hands. So I got back in touch and started doing some contract work with Repum in the spring of 2020 and then joined full time in September and have been there ever since. So it was definitely those driven brands relationships, um, that, that brought me over. Relationships are so big and so important. And, you know, one of the things that we say often is franchising is kind of this little niche world that most people don't realize exists. And while it is pretty big and lots of revenue is built through franchising and lots of opportunities, it's kind of a small world all at the same time. You know, you've talked about going to Springboard and running into these guys, and we all kind of go to all the same events. So that's great that you were right time, right place with them. And when you had to exit during the pandemic with your company, then there was an opportunity with Repum. We've mentioned Repum a couple of times now. So maybe let's explain what is Repum? What are the services that are offered? It's such a unique concept in franchising to support franchisees. Yeah, absolutely. So Repum 
technically used to be uh, RPM, which was real estate and project management. Um, so when Rob Cambruzzi and Jason Ryan, they had this background at Driven Brands um, and, and they were doing selling franchises, but also having to get them open. And so really saw firsthand how challenging that can be, um, everything about the real estate and then the construction process. So Rob actually, after he left Driven, started Repum um, RPM at the time, specifically to address that problem with franchise companies. So to be an outside vendor who can specialize in helping franchisors get their units open on time and within item seven. And especially for smaller brands who don't have those resources internally, that's a huge struggle and something where an outside vendor can really make a difference. So that's where it started, started to build that, had, you know, had success there on a number of clients. But within a couple of years, actually, the concept then expanded with the addition of Nick Sheehan, who was um, kind of leaving St. Gregory at the time after they disbanded. Um, to include franchise development. So, hey, not only can we help you get your units open, we can help to sell those licenses in the first place. And suddenly with that transition, there was an opportunity for a whole new framework. So instead of just helping companies with the real estate and construction, we can take this more holistic approach to helping to launch and grow franchise concepts. So we grew into the Repum group, which has four verticals now. Growem, which does franchise sales, kind of a, a typical FSO part of the business. There is Brandom, our marketing arm, and Brandom really specializes in content development, but also in helping companies to take what is their consumer marketing and their brand positioning and kind of marketing approach and really translate that into how to market in the friend of space, both for broker networks and organic um, and, and really helping to get the message out. Um, then we have Buildum, which is the original RPM of real estate and, and construction project management and Scalum, which is the division that I run which really helps to um, work on operations and I would say preparation for growth. Um, so in terms of what drew me in, I would say, you know, that's twofold. I think the first is I was excited to be a part of an organization that is trying to do something different, kind of as you were saying, Brittany, that is, you know, in franchising, there is always a tension between sales and operations. And, you know, when I was at a franchise or certainly there is that as the ops person, you go like, gosh, you know, sales will say anything or, you know, you, you have this experience where there's just that inherent tension. And then, um, you know, in operations, it's always your job to try to, to, to make that come true for people to really deliver on what was promised in the sales process. And I think, you know, what you lose with a traditional FSO is you are the person who's doing all the sales, you're making all those promises, but you're not then there on the backside to help to try to make sure that that those things can get delivered on. And so I like the idea that we're combining elements of both sales and operations, which really helps hold both sides accountable. And then the other thing for me was just the people, you know, as I said, like I had friends who were already in the business for me hearing that people like Brian Ronzo, our general counsel, or Regina Tevis, who does our kind of business development and, and events, or Jason and Rob, having them already on board really sold me. Those are relationships that I value and people whose integrity I really value. And, you know, as our as our years have gone on and we have grown now, uh, so much of it is the relationships that keep me here as well, just with, you know, those folks and also lots of new people. It always ends up being about the people and <laughs> just really kind does. of this stuff, you know, it's a, it's a common theme where I think we're over 60 episodes now. And it's one of those things where we talk to folks and franchising is so much about the people, the people that are coming in as franchisees, the people that you meet that are working in there. I 
have very few people that I know that talk about their industry and how much they love it and how full of great people it is. You just don't hear that. I have a, a very close friend of mine that's a physician. I, I never hear her talk about like all these doctors. They're the best. They're all the people I love working <laughs> I'm with. I'm in it doctors, yeah. Yes, exactly. And I think that's one thing that the Repum Group did a really nice job of assembling is a group of people that and creating a culture of knowledge and growth and really making sure that they brought in the right folks personality-wise, so the culture is strong, but additionally, tons and tons of experience. As you People you listed there, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I didn't even know those were from the Driven Brands days. Like, I didn't realize that's how deep that went. Mm-hmm. And I do think a successful franchisor needs to have exceptional operational excellence. That's where we typically see things can go left if they don't have that in line. Because franchisees need that. They need that guidance to grow, to thrive, to truly build the type of business that they got into this to do. So can you just explain for the listeners what Scalum is and why that arm of Repum that you're running is so important? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you hit on a couple of the really key ideas. So you know, when the original expansion happened, we're selling licenses, we're helping get people open. Then we started to have brand partners who were asking for some help and some support on the operations side. And that's when kind of Scalum got got conceptualized and added in as one of the verticals. And I do think it's part of what sets us apart. So, you know, I think it became clear as we're working with some of these clients that there is this need for operational support. It's like you say, like large and successful franchise brands have significant resources. They have already made an investment in the cash to continue doing that in operational tools and support to help Z's be successful. But emerging brands typically just don't have those resources in-house and can't afford to pay for, I mean, frankly, when I was consulting, like most of these small emerging brands couldn't have couldn't have afforded essentially, like, you know, to bring someone like me in to do all of this work. Uh, but they're the ones who need it most. And so, you know, they're often left to struggle to figure things out on their own, to have people experience failure or kind of be constantly in reactive mode where they're they're trying to build scaffolding, but it's because somebody just fell off already, you know, and that that's just a challenging place to be. But, you know, if we are going to be a company that's going to go out and try to stand for doing things the right way and doing things with integrity and only selling for businesses that we believe in, we don't want to be the one that sells 500 licenses really fast and then only 20 of them actually open or, you know, they open and then fail. Like, we want to keep the train rolling. And the only way to do that is with strong validation and, and results from existing franchisees. The brand has to actually work. like Otherwise, the whole thing dies. And so Scalum is kind of born out of that effort to really help advise our brands throughout the process on how to build and scale for franchisee success. And then we can actually help do that where it's possible. So I would say for some brands, our role might be more limited. We always want to understand things like their training pathways, the ops support, building out the the business model, the pro forma to make sure we understand the levers that move the business and can help candidates understand that as well. Kind of really getting our hands around the business model and making sure that we believe in it enough to sell it and we can really communicate it. But for other brands, we get much more involved. So, you know, we, I, I think of our role as essentially helping some of our brands to take what is successful about the business they already have, typically either not yet a franchise or a very early franchise brand with just a few units and really take our expertise to help turn that into a brand that can scale. So we have 
written, rewritten ops manuals. We have made handbooks and scripts and sales guides and trackers and checklists and, you know, training presentations for people's, you know, learning management systems. We have redesigned full initial training programs. We've built break events and KPI trackers and, you know, just so many more things. And I think the, the effort there is always to help the brands essentially function as another member of their ops team. So we don't directly manage franchisees. We don't run the business, but we are that extra hand on the ops team to help to create all of the resources that if they were already a bigger brand, they would have. And the things that are that are easy to put in place to help franchisees be successful. Um, so it, it's something that I'm really proud of. We also do some things like advise on the FDD, both kind of from a sales perspective and an ops perspective. Um, you know, just th those sorts of tools we try to help them as they're building out their field teams and understand what makes a good ops field team member and how do you think about, you know, when someone is going to visit and how do you make that effective and how do you hold franchisees accountable and how do you work together and some of the really core tenets of relationship-based franchising. We kind of think of our role as you bring your expertise in your core business and we'll bring the expertise in how to translate that into something that has the ability to grow and scale as a franchise system. It's so unique. I mean, it, when we talk to all other FSOs, I mean, they don't have this division. It is something very unique that you offer. You mentioned a couple of advantages that there are in place for the franchisor, but I want to just drive that home a little bit more. So tell us, what are the advantages from the franchisor perspective and the franchisee perspective? Because we want our clients to really understand as they look at brands with Repum, and they're working with those concepts that there is a huge advantage of having these other divisions on board. So from your perspective, what are the advantages of having Scalum involved for both the franchisee and the franchisor? Yeah, for sure. So I would say from the franchisee, hopefully what it means is you have the confidence of knowing that the brand you're buying has had the benefit of a lot of years of franchise experience kind of as a part of the Think of it as the brain trust or the advisory council. We are long-term partners with the brands that we work with. And so even in the background, you might not see us every day, but you know that when that brand is making decisions or introducing new revenue streams or rolling out new platforms, like that they have access to people who have done this a lot with a lot of different brands and a lot of places have made a lot of mistakes over time, have seen things done well and poorly. So, you know, a, every emerging brand is building the plane as it flies, but, you know, hopefully not kind of after the crash, right? So, I mean, I think the the other piece, if I'm a franchisee, hopefully what I feel better about is knowing that before a brand is going to work with Repum, we vet pretty carefully. And, and uh, as time goes on and, you know, people get to know us more, that queue gets longer of brands. And, you know, we are, and our diligence process is just constantly improving. So by the time, hopefully, that we are partnering with a brand, you know, we actually believe in it. And we have poked through the numbers and we poked through the operations and as much as possible, we have done that diligence to believe this is a business model that can work. There's room for this to be profitable. We think that this has legs to run and that, you know, like if you're a franchisee, you have a really reasonable chance of success in this business. We, we believe in it. And so hopefully that adds some confidence, um, you know, from the franchisor perspective, I think similarly, like, you know, you, you get the benefit of, all of the various brands that we've worked with. So, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of different things in a lot of different ways. So it might be, hey, you know what? In some FDDs, they put in a clause that says this, and I think that might actually make a lot of sense for your brand as well. Or, you know, I've seen someone really effectively do a trading path that includes this, or, you know, put this checklist together and it was really effective. 
So they're getting the, the expertise that we have over having seen and worked with a, a lot of brands, like I say, and, and made some mistakes of our own, certainly. I mean, but I, I think that other piece is just to go back to what I said earlier is, you know, I, I don't know how to run a great ice cream shop or a med spa or the ins and outs of dog grooming or, you know, whatever the, the fundamental business is. And, and they do. That's the expertise they bring to the table. It's the absolute foundation. But then we know how to scale that for franchising, build and execute things, how to you know build a strong team, get those tools and so forth. And so I think, and as a franchisor, it should be a partnership where you feel more comfortable because you have some of that, someone kind of helping to create that safety net for you. Um, and then also just access to all of the resources that we have and can create and have seen a, across businesses. And you did not ask this, but I'm, I'm just going to plug here. But the advantage is for us as well. You know, like it, it's not just for the franchisor and franchisee. It is for Repum. You know, I think it's a unique setup because, you know, our our clients essentially like they just have access to this type of expertise. But for us, look like we're self-interested. This is great in the long run, because if we're going to keep that train rolling, kind of as we said, then, you know, we have to be able to keep selling. We have to be able to have that brand be successful, ultimately potentially get to a transaction. And, and for all of that to happen, we have to be in it. We have to see red flags, hopefully, before they arise. We have to really understand, you know, what's happening in the business, because that's what helps to keep us, I think, you know, not just accountable, but also effective as salespeople. We can really speak to it. We know the brand in a way that not every FSO, I think, has the chance to do. That's the best way I've heard anybody explain Repum Group, and we've had some of the founders on here. So I'll just <laughs> thank you. <laughs> That's so nice. I appreciate I'll, uh, that. I'll edit that. I'll edit that clip and send it to Rob personally. For you. <laughs> like, but, get on this, Rob. Try to memorize this. That's right. Yeah, mm -hmm. this this is a soundbite you guys need to be using publicly. That's amazing. The experience is phenomenal. And you can't, you know, my dad always said, I'll pay for your education. He paid for our educations. But he has this phrase that says, education is cheap, but experience is expensive. And so the fact that you guys can really go ahead and have that experience and build that into the process for the franchisor, for the franchisee, and for yourselves, so you can really make sure that you, everyone's learning and growing at the same time, I think that's incredibly fantastic. So You've given us a lot of information and you've worked with some incredible people in this industry. And I know at J&J, &J, I'm sure you rubbed elbows with a bunch of fantastic people as well. It being a barista, doing any of those things, you get a <laughs> lot of great advice, right? Mm -hmm. And I would love for you to just share with us, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever received? It's such a good question. It's one of those things you can like never, never really put your finger on at the time. So I'm going to, I'm going to cheat, I think. And there are, there are two pieces that come to mind, both, both pieces of advice that I got fairly early in my career, but I would say I come back to these and I come back to these even in my own management now of my teams more than anything else, probably. So the first one, um, it, it's an easy piece of advice to hear, but uh, much harder to execute. And that is to be fantastic to work with. So essentially be someone who solves problems, who helps people out, who does great work, who makes the organization and people and their experience better instead of harder. And that feels obvious, but it's really hard to do. And we have all obviously worked with people who don't make that happen, who somehow manage to like create barriers. They're all trying hard, you know, but like they create barriers or they make things harder or their personal lack of being able to like, you know, get things done then spills over and makes life harder for other people. And I think the, the advice that I got is basically like, take care of your own stuff and then be a great colleague. And I have never found an organization 
where that wasn't great advice. And I think you can follow that advice uh, at any level. Like some of the people that I have like valued and depended on most have been admins who are just absolutely, you know, foundational to the organization and making things better and being great to work with. I mean, and I, I say at every level, I think that's just great advice. And I have always tried to live by that. Um, I, I, the second for me, it's a little more nuanced and it's about understanding what you bring to the table. So it doesn't matter as much, I think, in your first few years of your career where you're really you're trying things out. You're focused on skill building, just understanding industries and you know getting better at particular skills. But eventually, if you're going to continue to move forward, you really need to understand your specific comparative advantages. And I think a lot of people make the mistake of just focusing on what their specific job experience has been or what their titles have been or what they have done. And those things are important. But when push comes to shove, and especially if you're going to be someone whose career spans different industries or different types of companies or different roles, it is so critical for your own happiness and for your overall success to understand what are you good at? Like, what are you better at than most people? And so, you know, where can you find a role that's going to allow you to take advantage of what you are good at and add the value that you can add that other people can't? And to know that and then to be able to communicate that clearly in, in any given setting, I think is just absolutely foundational to my career. And it was a piece of advice and and an exercise that I, that I had from a mentor years ago. And like I say that's one of the things that I focus on also with people who I am managing and interviewing is to really help people understand like what is what is it that you bring to the table? And so I think that, again, regardless of kind of title or organization um, is something that I would uh, great advice for me and something that I always tell people myself. Well, I think you mentioned early on that, you know, you were in marketing, but it wasn't really what you felt like you wanted to do. And I think when you're at a certain level in your career with big companies, that takes guts to do some soul searching and say, all right, you probably had to take a step back to make a switch in an industry, in a department. And mm -hmm. that's pretty incredible that you had the guts to do that. So you kind of fell into franchising because you knew someone and you were looking for a change. Most people fall into franchising, but now here you are years later. So what's your personal compelling reason for still sticking with franchising and being in this industry? This is such a good question. Uh, so I think for me, it was really startling to get into franchising and realize how much, I think you might've hinted at this earlier, but I think how much it feels kind of isolated and separate from a lot of the big business world. And, you know, I knew so many people in, you know, fancy business school and virtually none of them are moving into franchising. Like it is still a, a world and an industry that is based around small business people and other than private equity. And this feels kind of unbalanced, right? You don't want all the people in private equity to have all of that great business experience. And, you know, the people in franchising, like not to necessarily have some of that same expertise. Like it really feels like there is this huge opportunity to take the ingenuity and the creativity and, you know, the, the hustle and brilliance that comes from these thousands and thousands of franchisors and and small business creators and employers and to you know continue to apply best practices and bring those to light and then bring in people with great expertise from the outside world and and really like bring franchising a little bit into some of the kind of I would say like closer to where a, a lot of the kind of business conversation is happening or you know where the business news is happening on a like more ground level though I, I think 
for me, there is an overwhelming sense too that franchising, when it is done well, it really does have the power to transform, you know, transform people's lives and families and trajectories and create wealth. And I grew up in a very low income background, like not particularly privileged parents to go to college. Like it was just a different, I was, you know, from rural Oregon. Um, and I had some opportunities that turned my whole life around in terms of education and, you know, and, and employment and stuff. And so I really did kind of go through an economic mobility pathway that is not open to very many people in today's day and age. Those opportunities are, are I think, not as plentiful as they used to be. And it is harder to change the circumstances that you're born in or that you happen to be in. And franchising is still one of the areas, I think, that provides those pathways for so many people, for so many immigrants, for so many people who don't have a lot of wealth or a traditionally kind of highly educated background. And there is something incredibly special about that the downside is that franchising takes wealth from a lot of people. And, you know, like there are a lot of bad investments that you can make. And so the difference between this done well with the right people in the right roles, finding the right brands and with the right support and what that can do versus people who do this and they invest in the wrong brands or brands that aren't going to be good stewards of their resources and they don't know how to run them and the support isn't there and they can lose that wealth or those those hard earned fortunes, like to me, that difference is so critical and you're not going to get it right every day, but the the difference between good and bad and our ability to really try to make a difference and help more of these companies be the, the, the engines to growth and to mobility and to kind of people's lives changing. To me, that's where the, the big piece of opportunity is and the piece that's exciting and still keeps me here. Yeah. I mean, you guys are doing it right. That's why we continue to show the brands, you know, in the rep and portfolio, because as a whole, you really care about setting franchisors up for success, which ultimately leads to franchisee success. Well, that's the hope. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's happening. We're, we're watching it happen. We're seeing the success stories. So we're grateful to just be a small part of, of bringing some good people to great brands with you guys. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. We really appreciate your time and your expertise. Well, thanks thank for having you. me. This was delightful. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, guys. So if you'd like to learn more about franchising and diversifying your portfolio through franchising, email us at info at franpathconsulting.com. Follow the FranPath Consulting Podcast on Apple or Spotify. Please rate and review us five stars. You can also follow us on Instagram at FranPath, Facebook and LinkedIn at FranPath Consulting, or go to our website, franpathconsulting.com, to take your free business assessment. Mm -hmm.